welcome back to American Scene, the show where we talk about movies with American in the title and what they have to say about American identity, culture, and values. My name is Ben Rosen. I'm Alan Austin. If you have anything you want to say about the show, any of our previous episodes, or anything we cover today, please connect with us on Twitter at AmericanScene underscore, on Instagram at AmericanScenePod, or send us an email at AmericanScenePod at gmail.com. This week, we are taking aim at American Outlaws. Yes, yes. This, of course, your old, uh, you know, Western story told with the uh, character of Jesse James, of course, is part of American lore. And here, as with most of our other films, actually, the lead portrayal of a movie with American title by a foreign actor, which I continue to find fascinating. And by the time this gets released, there will be an Instagram post honoring those actors and talking about the unique stat that we have. And I got to say, Colin Farrell's the best part of this movie in the lead role as the very dramatized Jesse James. Yes, I remember the early 2000s being like, suddenly you heard Colin Farrell was in everything. And every like, I remember <laughs> girls I knew were talking about Colin Farrell, you know, as like, oh, he's so dreamy or whatever. He's he's very charming <laughs> in this movie. Uh, not a very good movie, but but he is very charming. This is a 2001 film directed by Les Mayfield, written by Roderick Taylor and John Rogers, starring Colin Farrell alongside what I think is actually a pretty great cast, like in terms of the, if we're talking about early 2000s, Scott Kahn, Ollie Larder, Gabriel Mocked, Gregory Smith, Harris Eulin, Kathy Bates, Timothy Dalton, Will McCormick, and Terry O'Quinn, uh, pre-Lost. I think this might have been just a couple of years before Lost started. Um, also notable... Cinematography by Oscar winner Russell Boyd. He won for Master and Commander about a year and a half later. Uh, And music by Trevor Rabin, whose name you might know from stuff like Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Deep Blue Sea, Gone in 60 Seconds, Remember the Titans, National Treasure, or Alan's personal favorite, Snakes on a Plane. Oh, I'm ready for it. Come on, bring it. So this film, look, we've covered some bad ones on this podcast. This isn't necessarily to that level, in my opinion. This was like, I don't know how to explain it. It was a movie to pass the time. I don't feel any way, shape, or I don't hate it. I don't love it. I watched it. It existed for an hour and 34 minutes in my life. It never will again, but it did. And I have no real complaints, but no real recommendations. It's your middle of the road, take up space movie. Yeah, it wasn't frustratingly bad, like last days of American crime, it was just fine. It was just fine. And that's okay. That's okay. You know, there are people I could see this movie easily being someone's childhood favorite movie, because they may have seen it as they were coming of age. And it was cool. And it had outlaws and it preached this kind of fighting for the blue collar guy like I could see those kind of elements, but us watching it now in our 30s, you know, when it came from an era in cinema that's not really known for having the best B-movies, because this is nothing more than a B-movie. So it just kind of took up space. And if anything, it helped just instill Colin Farrell into the pop culture psyche of that time. And I'm fine with it. You know, there's a lot of character actors from that period just existing in this movie. Ali Larder, you mentioned, this was during her heyday. So, you know, you had these type. It was, this is a great time capsule film. Is it a great film? No, but it really represents early 2000s American cinema. I I agree. I I can't, um, I don't know how to typify early 2000s American cinema, but it was like, 
I, I, I actually feel that this movie was like a remnant of the 90s in Very a way where, so. where I think the early 2000s were maybe those last gasps of things that just worked better when uh, like would have worked better a few years earlier. You know? Yeah, it's it it's fine. But like this same story told in today's political climate would have a much different interpretation because this is a film where and it was jarring at first for me as we spoke about off air, it kind of was for you too, but it was really hard for me except that the Confederates were the the baby face good guys here. Like, right. That was really hard for me to stomach. I mean, these were, yeah, the first introduction we get to these characters there is they're fighting alongside the Confederate army against the, against Union soldiers, and we're supposed to like these guys. Now, granted, they don't, you know, they don't carry that identity with them throughout the film. Like, they're definitely like, this was something that they did. It almost seems like they were products of their environment rather than political, politically, socially motivated people. Right. As soon as the war ends, they're like, we're ready to go home. We don't, we're not, we're not upset that the war is over. We're not upset that we lost. We're ready to go home. Um, And of course, as they get home, they discover that the railroads come into town and they're, the government uh, is, is enabling the, the railroad uh, corporate head honchos uh, alongside the Pinkertons, uh, you know, they got their muscle with them to offer a couple dollars per acre and get them the hell off the land so that they can, they can run right through to the West. Um, And as you said, this does check a lot of the boxes of the elements of a classic Western. You know, you've got, you know, the time, the correct time period, it's centered on Jesse James, this, this cowboy, this gunfighter, Um, you know, the, common plots of these movies are the construction of a railroad or ranchers protecting their family from large landowners, revenge stories, outlaw gangs. Like it's got all of this stuff. Uh, and, and obviously Westerns themselves, uh, you know, when we talked about American flyers as inspirational sports movies being like one of the most American film genres, Westerns right up there as well. Yeah. The, and I, the reason I brought up the rooting for the Confederate side is because they do paint the railroad and the Northerners as rich elitists, and they are the blue collar, you know, salt of the earth, everyday people. But when it comes to the Western elements, if you're willing to overlook the revisionist history of Jesse James, I mean, this is a fine film. The, the, it's hard, though. Like, there have been better stories told about the Jesse James character. And this one was a complete popcorn puff piece, so to speak, where even his bank robberies are supposed to be done as with this Robin Hood theme of take from the rich, give to the poor. They are really painting. And I'm fine with it because what do we care what the legacy of Jesse James is in 2021, even in 2000, 2001 when this came out? It doesn't really matter. So it's fine. We revisionist history so much anyway to nitpick about this and get mad about it would be a little hypocritical. So looking at it from the film itself, it tells a fun little story and and it's really carried by how likable colin farrell is which middle school you and i would be really mad about you know like oh here's this good looking guy gonna steal all our all the girls we like again which was a thought i definitely had as a high school not a high school i was like a late elementary early middle schooler like i remember distinctly the girl i liked having a justin timberlake poster in her locker and i was really bummed out it's fine. And I love Colin Farrell as an actor. And I really think he just does a nice job and he carries this film and it's it's a nice little vehicle for him. 
Yeah, uh, you had posted on Facebook or, or Twitter, I think, uh, uh, last week or the week before about um, movie character hair. Uh, I think for a little while, Colin Farrell would have been that guy. Um, also, Scott Kahn's hair is just insanely great. Uh, I, I don't know how he gets the right size, wave, length. It's just, it's it's great. So shout out to that. Um, you said a Justin Timberlake poster. I, I wonder if you'll remember that I once called you the Justin Timberlake of our group of friends. So, you know, whoever that yeah. girl was, she she missed out. <laughs> well, that girl uh, is is probably off doing very good things, living a happy life. I don't know. But that girl was Jessica Biel. <laughs> But, but let me ask you let me ask you what do you think about westerns do you are you a fan of westerns as an american cinema watcher do you like westerns let me just start out by saying i still consider myself the justin timberlake of our group i don't think anyone's coming to challenge that anytime soon so i'm gonna hold that mantle and as far as westerns yeah i like westerns you know i don't necessarily go out of my way i don't I don't collect the parts of the culture. I don't have a longhorn on my wall. I don't have, you know, rock formation posters. Like, it's fine. Like, they're a nice change of pace. Like, did I rush out and go see News of the World? No. Will I watch it if I ever have the opportunity? Probably, because I like Tom Hanks and I don't mind Westerns. There have been, I think it has to be the right situation. Like, am I going to go back and watch every John Wayne movie that ever came out? No. But have I seen The Searchers? Yeah, it's great. So it's this give or take for me. I'm not against it, but I'm not always going to go out of my way. But I think what helps this film for me is that it is very modernized. It's not this slow draw where everything takes an hour and a half to get the point across for every scene. It's a quick, tight hour and a half. It gets to everything very quickly. I barely consider it a Western as much as I do just a, you know, a popcorn movie. Yeah, I think I actually kind of enjoy this version of a Western where it kind of it, it doesn't have the like gravitas, you know, of most Westerns where it's like we got to take this very seriously and we've got like, you know, 15 minute stretches of scenic beauty of the landscape. It's like, no, let's just get to the action. Let's get to the comedy. Let's get to the it's, it's a bit lighter than a lot of Westerns. Two modern Westerns that I really enjoy, uh, two Quentin Tarantino movies, Django Unchained and Hateful Eight could be considered kind of that Western feel. And there are many, and as much as I love these movies, there's a lot of scene building. There's a lot of, Hateful Eight has like minutes in the snow, just watching the snowfall. And while it's great, this movie did not need to be that, and it knew it, and it benefited it. I think it's also worth recognizing that one of the first silent films ever made was a Western, The Great Train Robbery, which for any of you cinephiles or anybody who's interested in checking it out, is available just to watch on Wikipedia. You look up Western film genre, it's just there. You can click play. It's wild. Uh, I remember watching it in my my film studies class when I was, uh, I don't know, I guess like 16 years old in, in high school. You know, and we see elements of Westerns, you know, themes that that show up in these movies of, uh, you know, frontier justice, uh, revenge, you know. These things come up in a lot of other movies as well. Uh, we literally just talked about a movie, Last Days of American Crime, that name checks John Wayne and was attempting to be about stealing from evil rich people and politicians who were trying to squash the everyman. Um, so, you know, elements of, of the Western genre do seep into contemporary action movies as well. Yeah. I, I, and you know what? There's no sense in just 
crapping all over this film because it is what it knows it needs to be. So I'm fine with saying that this movie didn't break any new ground. This movie took very basic American themes, rolled them up into one and put it out there for our consumption. You, you mentioned it, the, 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 the rich versus the poor, the war, all the elements of that American Western feel, the same thing as last days of American crime. It's, it's the Robin Hood. It's, it's everything that will get people away from their everyday monotony for an hour and a half. And I think the theme of the little guy up against corporate America continues to be relevant, will always be relevant. And that's the theme that's front and center here. So we should we should dig right into, uh, first of all, the <laughs> the place where this movie is set is called Liberty, Missouri, which is not it is it is a real place. It's not where the, the real Jesse James was born and, and raised. Uh, it is where the gang pulled off their first daylight uh, bank robbery. Um, but if we needed a place that could yeah. represent their freedom being infringed upon, Liberty is like the perfect name. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Um, there's the fear these people have, uh, you know, at this like town hall meeting, um, that they need to bend to the will of corporate interests or they'll be left with nothing, you know, only if we don't stick together. Um, you know, the, they've got the Pinkerton muscle with them. Uh, intimidating lower class people, manipulating the situation to their benefit. Um, you know, after the army leaves, the railroad men set fire to a bunch of homes, and that and that's what really like spurs them into action. And you've got this this corporate interest represented by this guy Thaddeus Rains. Great name, great name, phenomenal, phenomenal. Didn't look up if it was a real guy. Uh, who cares? Great name. He shows up and he's got nothing but disdain for rural folk. Uh, just wants to get rid of them so he can build his railroad, have a legacy, uh, you know, passed down from his father or grandfather. He wants to pass it down to, to his son. Doesn't matter who gets hurt along the way. Mr. Thaddeus Rain, sir. It's a pleasure to have you join us in the field. Well, I'm pleased to be here. Really? No, Parker, no. I'm really not pleased to leave my boardroom come to this godforsaken piece of dirt to discover why in the name of all that's holy you can't seem to evict a few simple farmers from their pathetic little mud holes. So that I can build the greatest railroad the world has ever seen. Well, I completely you know, and I think that stress. that goes to say corporate interests only see people as tools or obstacles. They can either yeah. help the little guy can either help the big guy get rich, or they can be disposed of. Absolutely, and the Terry O'Quinn character is like it gets to like a comedic point where his solution for any problem is. We'll just hang them. We'll just burn their house down. We'll just do this. We'll just that. Like, just like you get a car, you get a car, you get your house burned, you get hung. Like they just like beat you over the head with how ins insensitive and ruthless these people are. And it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. The, they're the big bad. But also, I mean, like, is that out of the realm of possibility for what certain corporations have done maybe they haven't burned people's homes down but they have certainly you know rigged the system manipulated people in a certain way where where people feel well if i don't if i don't bend to what what they want then How i'm going to i'm going to be and i'm going to be squashed and mm -hmm. i'm going to be i'm going to be left out out in the cold so yeah hanging people or burning things down is definitely for the time maybe that was the solution <laughs> Maybe yeah, that well, was exactly uh, what, what corporate interest did, but today it might look a little different. And I think when we talk about when we talk about what it looks like today, it's a little bit more uh, buying politicians, and that's where you get. I think what what you mentioned earlier, the big city elite 
you know, are sort of representative of that big government um, influencing what's happening, you know, thousands of miles away in, in, in places with, with people that don't look like them. Yeah. And a lot of this film wants to be not necessarily factual, but they want to get elements that really happen. So you've got the James Younger gang, you've got the Pinkertons, you've got stuff. So I don't think to throw out hangings is totally arbitrary. I think you're right. I think it might be a product of the times. We'll never really know unless we really dig deep and like, you know, fact check this movie. But it does a fine job of painting the picture, putting you in the world that was whatever, 1870s, Jesse James, you know, whatever. It it puts you in that time period, just all well, fine and dandy. Uh, This film, if you take it too seriously, you're going to absolutely despise it. So I went in with this with a very loose attitude, but they throw this Robin Hood theme at us. We mentioned it briefly before, but they really want Jesse to feel like this good guy who's doing what he needs to because that's what he knows. And the people he's doing it to are bad guys anyway. So he robs the banks. They have this whole discussion about keeping the money. And Jesse's like, no, we got to build goodwill with the town. So we'll give it to the churches. We'll give it to the poor people. You know, even at one point, they rob a bank. A a guard, a cop comes out, points a gun at him. Jesse says, stand down. The cop puts the gun down. And he goes, just because we're robbing a bank doesn't mean we don't need to be civil. And I got to be honest, I mentioned it three times now. Damn it if Colin Farrell isn't just likable. So it really helps the movie just move along at a brisk pace. And the themes do hit you. They're a little, they're a little loosey-goosey at times, like the Robin Hood one. There, there's no real payoff. Like, yeah, they gave money back to the town, but there was no like grand, the town is saved from the railroad company gesture because they were able to raise the money to defend themselves or whatever. There's, there's no like period to the end of that sentence. It's just like random good stuff to make you like jesse more that leads to nowhere so yeah they kind of lose the thread of defending the town from the railroad uh it really just becomes about the jesse james and uh sorry the james younger gang robbing and you know again yeah you only see it very briefly the robin hood uh type thing but i mean to to kind of take that as take you know take it on its own terms and just say well, that's if that's what they're implying with this this version of the character, um, you know, here is a character who comes from this area who, even though he's robbing the banks here, the people trust him more because he comes from the same place. He's right. of their same social class. He's not a corporate interest coming in. He's not a big city elite coming in uh, trying to destroy their way of life. Um, so that, so that's how I take the Robin Hood character. Um, and in terms of, in terms of Robin Hood characters, uh, you know, we'll get to like something like American Gangster down the line, which I think may share some, some things in common with this, where, you know, he's providing for, for, for members of his own community in ways that the big city won't, in ways that the economy controlled by, by big money interests will always leave people behind. Something I actually thought of was a book I read called uh, Gang Leader for a Day, which the broad overview is a, a uh, university academic goes to spend like years at a time in the Chicago projects uh, shadowing this particular gang leader. Um, these projects exist as a world unto themselves, much in the way that the Old West did with illegal economies because people there were separated from 
the square world, so to speak, the 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 world that, you know, of the big cities. And then all that got torn down and all those people got displaced, just like you see in this film. You know, the railroad's going to display, they're going to condemn the land and displace all these people. And and how can these people survive when they're at the mercy of capitalist interests that have no incentive to help them? And this, this, the book I mentioned takes place in like the late 80s, early 90s. But we see that stuff throughout history of, uh, stuff that's done in the name of progress that actually leaves a lot of people behind. So whether it's Walmart coming into small towns and and shutting down mom and pop stores, uh, you know, other small businesses, whether you've got Amazon trying to prevent unionization, uh, you know, the agriculture industry, like a big, lots of corporate consolidation that puts family farms under ridiculous financial strain. And as I mentioned, big business cozying up with the political system. And and this is a both sides problem. It really is. Uh, Republicans and de- and Democrats really want to trust the the capitalist system. And, you know, I saw I saw a thing the other day that's like a a poor Republican and a poor Democrat have way more in common than a poor Democrat and a rich Democrat. So when you were mentioning like, the, you know, here are these, you know, these are Midwestern white people who now, you know, probably lean a certain way politically, but there's a commonality uh, among disadvantaged people. Uh, yeah. That's that's very American mm-hmm. in terms of being 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 oppressed by this this big capitalist structure. And that's what makes them outlaws, because they're doing stuff that the the big money people, the the, the people in power, don't want them to. And yeah, there's something to root for in that. You know, uh, it's it's. It's a very fun way to look at it because there's nothing at stake for us, the viewers, but we're still hoping they, they overcome. And, you know, we want to live vicariously feeling like the man is going down. So it's a very American film. We started going away from has the film earned the American title. This one does pretty simply. Like, there's no reason to think this isn't, you know, validated by calling itself American. And you know what? There's a lot of stuff, little elements that, you know... The fact that the Kathy Bates mother character is super religious, like that's supposed to endear her to us, the viewers, as like a good God-fearing woman who raised a family. There's the line within the first like five minutes of the film where Jesse James says, God help any man who tries to come between me and my farm again. See, the railroad men come through offering to buy up land. Nobody sells. So the army starts hanging men who own farms for treason. During the war, all we thought about was coming home. And I swore I'd kill anybody who tried to get me off my farm again now. If I have to go to war with the railroad to stay, it's fine by me. And I was like, all right, that's what kind of movie this is going to be. I, I, I got it. I got it. And, you know, it's 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 fine. It's a, it's a layup. You know right off the bat who you're rooting for and why. And you go from there. I think this film loses a lot of its momentum, even in a buck 30 in the third act of the film, which I think is a little all over the place and incongruent with what was set up. I think if you take the first and second act alone, you've got a really fun movie with the third act. It just becomes a whatever. Yeah. As we said, it kind of loses the thread of the, of the central conflict where suddenly Jesse and Z are like off in Florida, you know, going to get married or they get, they get married or whatever. And I'm like, wait, what, why, why are we doing this now? They like leave the gang entirely. 
uh, and completely forget that they were trying to defend their home from right. uh, from greedy uh, corporate. I don't understand why the railroad didn't just plow right ahead when Jesse was off gallivanting, you know, around the West. Strange. Yeah. yeah. Because they clearly make it a point that the younger gang without Jesse is just laughed and scoffed at. No one cares. And you lose the whole camaraderie buildup that they've had for the whole first two thirds of the movie. Like these are the outlaws. That's the name of the movie. And they're breaking up for no reason, like literally no reason. There's a scene where everyone starts turning on Jesse because he's come. They say he's full of himself and they literally do do nothing in the entire film to indicate that Jesse's head got a little bigger or his ego ballooned. There's nothing other than the Scott Conn character being upset that he's not the coolest of the group. That there's Jesse did nothing to earn that reputation from everyone, including his brother, who's got his back through thick and thin. It's just completely it's a mess. The third act's a complete mess. And Jesse's supposed to, like you said, to be a hero, leaves the state altogether to run off with his wife who's his cousin in real life yeah just i wasn't gonna mention the uh <laughs> they don't mention it in the film but yeah that was like one of the first things on the wikipedia for jesse james anyway but yeah the third act's a mess and it, it it totally zaps you from the movie the big finale on the train can i just bring up a gripe in films people are always standing on speeding trains there's no way they would be able to stand and function on a speeding train. And we see this all the time. If you and I stood on a speeding train, we would fall off in a half a second. I mean, obviously, Colin Farrell is a, is a superhero. I mean, Jesse James is a superhero. That's it, it, These people are larger than life. That's why they're able to do it. I, I, I looked it up, actually. I wanted to see if this came out the same year as the Bye 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 video. Speaking of Justin Timberlake again, it did not. It was a year later. The Bye 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 video came out uh, January 2000. So What's the correlation? Oh, they're on top of a train in that. But you don't remember oh, that? Oh, okay. No, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. Is that, I thought that was one of their puppets. They are also puppets. <laughs> I don't remember every scene <laughs> from the music video. You should rewatch the. Uh, you should rewatch the video. It's a good one, uh, Mr. Timberlake. Um, you mentioned a quote that I liked. So there was another quote from uh, Thaddeus Rains that I I wanted to mention. This is when Jesse James is arrested. Uh, which also, if we're going to nitpick, we'll get to the nitpicks in the mini-sode, but there is one thing I want to nitpick about his arrest. Reigns says, The right sort of men will always run this country, Jesse James. Not your sort. You'll always suffer. And you haven't changed anything. Right sort of men will always run this country, not your sort. You'll always suffer, and you haven't changed anything. And I think he's actually right. I mean, unfortunately... Uh, we, I think we are seeing that now where, you know, folks like uh, I've brought her up before on this podcast, but but AOC was a bartender and, and then she got elected to Congress. And I think we're seeing more and more people electing individuals who reflect their experience, their lived experience, the kinds of places that they come from, more more blue collar people getting into the political system and being and, and, and helping it be shaped in a way that can help folks from that that social class um so hopefully that is changing but uh but but for a while thaddeus reigns was right he, he didn't change anything yeah yeah obviously in real life none of this was true he didn't go to war against the railroad uh but uh the pinkerton uh, uh pinkertons were after him that that is correct that is accurate uh that that he definitely did uh he was a, a, a thorn in their side for a Speaking long time of the pinkertons we got to talk about timothy dalton in this movie 
because you were more of a fan because you related it to his Hot Fuzz performance. But his character is so inept at his job in this film that he only gets him because he left the gang and just moved to Florida and was living chill. Like, none of what they set up in terms of his tracking really caught him. It killed Jim Younger. That's all that the planning that Timothy Dalton did. A lot of this movie is dedicated scene after scene of him going, I've got them soon. They have to hunt this man. They have to get inside this man's mind. They have to anticipate him. And that takes time. Time, time, time. Oh, I can't believe this. Do you believe that I... Certain towns in Missouri where the James Gang walks openly in the street as hero. Now, how can that be? Because they are charitable. Give money. The churches to farmers. They gave the sharecroppers of Maddox so much money they, they even built a school. That's my money. Well, sir, we should burn that school to the ground. That's the way to win them back to our side. Pinkerton. Hundreds of men have lost their lives to build this railroad. But they did the jobs. Now, this, this Jesse James, that's your job. Do your job. Then you let me do my job. As I see fit, without interference. All it leads to is the killing of little Gregory Smith, who always dies in these movies. Poor and- Gregory Smith. Poor Gregory Smith. <laughs> shot dead in at least two historical American films. Obviously, the other film, The Patriot. Uh, big Everwood fan here. Um, <laughs> Xenon. Like, Gregory Smith was definitely around in my childhood for sure. Yeah. Really, really sad to see him go again. Yeah, but that's all the Dalton character who gets a lot of screen time. That's all he accomplishes based on a lot of the buildup. Like months and months and months and months and months of chasing leads to not capturing Younger, not capturing James, either James, just Jim Younger dies. And Colin Farrell gets the better of the the setup because they set him up by uh, dragging Younger in without his knowledge. and, And, you know, it's this whole stupid thing. But you spend so much time with the Dalton character to not get his man the way he's supposed to. And then he respects him at the end and gives him a get out of jail free card for whatever reason. It makes no sense. And he just looks like a putz, the Pinkerton character. Thaddeus Reigns, he wasted more money paying Pinkerton than he ever did losing to Jesse James trying to get land. Yeah, well, that, well, that's actually a good point. I mean, just to bring it back to sort of like stuff that corporations do to get their way i mean you had you had folks like uber and lyft and and all of these uh, uh companies paying millions and millions of dollars to support prop 22 in in california just recently and it passed uh which w- we'll see how how much trouble that spells for uh certain types of workers going forward but they are willing to spend a lot of money on things that can potentially help their uh, their bottom line going going forward. So, with that, why don't we take it to our American moments? You're playing our song. So I'll I'll start it off because you picked it out last time in Last Days of American Crime. But again, we've got another torn up American flag at the end of the opening battle sequence. It's always gonna if if a, an American flag doesn't show up in one of our movies, I'll I'll be surprised. Has there been one in each of our movies? 
I don't remember one in American Psycho. I don't remember one in American Hustle. It's rare. I mean, it's certainly more more likely to see an, a, a flag than not. The film War Dogs, my fiance and I watched for the first time, and there's a shot where they're doing their weapons dealer things, and an American flag just covers their car. And the symbolism is them riding the car with America covering them as they deal weapons. Like, it's a big symbolic thing. Uh, my first American moment is the old west film setup thing so you've got covered wagons you've got like 10 explosions in this movie where someone does that front flip out of it it's like the classic action movie explosion flip like someone's getting thrown from the explosion they do the front flip there's a lot of that in this movie very acrobatic this game very yes (laughs) very acrobatic yeah Uh, the the thrown from explosions the covered wagons the goofy looney tune style tnt and dynamite dynamite written all over the dynamite just a lot of that old west symbolism that's very obvious so that was a very american moment to me is to have those symbols there in the film yeah oh for sure i mean like we said so much of this film hits the nail on the head when it comes to elements of a western i liked uh cole younger scott Kahn's character describing liberty as planting corn harvesting corn and eating corn yeah, that's a that's a lot of the country now. <laughs> uh, is that your second American moment? That's my second American moment. My my second American moment is the old fashioned American hoedown. So at one point they have a, a dance, they have a party to celebrate a younger escaping hanging, and it's a hoedown. There's a violins i think i I don't know it's probably another version of a violin there's people you know linking arms and dancing in circles it's it's a it's a hoedown yeah it's a it's a hootenanny it's a (laughs) yeah it's great great yeah no that was that was on my list as well um i liked we were talking about pinkerton and, and timothy dalton's performance uh and and his character but just having a british guy as the villain yeah very very classically american i mean yeah, my last American moment, we already covered. Old West train shootout. Just a, a finale on a big train when you're battling the railroad company the entire movie. Like, if that doesn't just symbolize everything that they were trying to go for in this film, all things America, nothing does. This was a pretty American movie that we just covered, I have to say. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I, I mentioned Western elements showing up in other movies. Um, and I mentioned the Bye 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 music video, but there have been two James Bond movies, pro- possibly the most British franchise of all time, at, at least two that I know of, uh, Spectre and Skyfall, both have huge train sequences. Really? Are yeah. they standing on top of them? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, actually, actually, in one, it's a fight inside a train car. They may have been on top of it at some point. Yeah, there's two characters who Thaddeus Reigns could have hired in movie history that would have been way more effective than Pinkerton. Shaw from Jaws and Daniel Craig's character from Knives Out. Both would have got the job done. Very similar vein of the performance of Dalton would have got it. So when people are listening to us talk about it, it's in the vein of that kind of guy who can see the forest for the trees. One's way more successful than the other, meaning the two I mentioned are way more successful than Pinkerton. But it's that kind of feel, that kind of vibe. Of the character. Very charactery. Very charactery. Very charactery. And Dalton's fine in the movie. It's just his character's a buffoon. 
Uh, I, I love that we've been teasing Minisode segments so that people come back for more. And when we get to the Minisode for this, I really want to talk about the Kathy Bates role because we got it. We got something to discuss there. So I do want to talk about the, yes, the Kathy Bates is in this movie that we just discussed and we didn't even talk about her yet. And we have to do that going forward. Absolutely. Um, I've got a couple other things I want to mention quickly. Uh, yeah. the, when the doctor lets Jesse go, like, like, uh, after Jesse's shot by, by the Pinkerton, he, he's resting at, at Z's father's place. He's, he's the town doctor. And he lets Jesse go and he goes, yep, you're, you're pretty much all healed up. I'm sorry. Pretty much? Pretty much all healed up? I don't think that's a... <laughs> a class, a, a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not a, that's not, you should probably still wait until you're 100%. I don't think any doctor worth their assault. However, it may have been forecasting the bullshit American healthcare system that we have now. You know, we're just like... <laughs> Yeah, give me $600. Here's some ibuprofen. You know what I mean? What's funny is that after getting shot, first of all, the cleanest gunshot victim I've ever seen. Like literally it's just laying there, clean shaven, hair gelled with like a bandage here with a little blood on it. And the guy's like, he might die. And we're just like, what? He's lost a lot of blood. I'm like, where is it? Where's the blood? And she goes... Is he going to be all right? Your prayers wouldn't hurt. Another way to shoehorn prayers in there. But I've got some things too. I got some things too. Do you want to um, keep going? Yeah, yeah. Well, the other, uh, just the saloons, the classic, classic <laughs> saloons. You were, we were talking about different, um, you know, Western uh, elements. And we didn't even talk about all the saloons they're in. And, so well, many you know, saloons. All that kind of stuff. And the old timey um, banks. The, the other thing I was going to mention, uh, since you haven't brought it up yet, but Will McCormick. Another uh, another guy who shows up in The Sopranos. You, you always mention when a guy shows up in one of our movies, and uh, you hadn't mentioned it yet. Well, I gotta look this up real quick because I don't remember him in The Sopranos. Jason yeah. Lapena. Let me look him up real quick on it. Oh, I know who he is. <laughs> okay. Yes, and on The Sopranos, he is one of the more annoying characters who is nauseating to listen not to. Not surprising. Not surprising, uh, <laughs> considering his role in this, which is just constantly the the uh, uh, source of uh, comic relief. Uh, that was, yeah, that was all I had for American Moments. Did you have anything else? Sure. Real quick, a couple things about the film. You have the Indian tracker character who does literally nothing. He doesn't help them once. He's just there. They threw him in there. He is the only diversity in this film, and he gets nothing to do. Just very shoehorned in there. I wish they did a little bit more with him, but they do give him first build in the end of the movie credits for some reason. They make Jesse kind of a foolish character to have us feel endeared to him. Like, he stumbles over his words. He can't quote Shakespeare. He, he He's a bumbling fool when it comes to how he talks to Z. I thought it was a nice touch. I got to be honest, having him be like not the smoothest, coolest guy in the room and yet still be the coolest guy in the room, if that makes any sense. There was some bits of humor here that were great, but I I think the movie didn't know if it wanted to be funny or not. So I think a lot of stuff gets kind of half-assed thrown in there without ever being committed to in terms of bits. I'd say the one that they commit to the most is the, the Bob, the Mad Bob sketch. Uh, he gets mad that his sketch is terrible. Uh, and then the last thing I have, you know, before we talk about anything else on the mini episode, is that Rain always seems to add drama. So Younger and J- Jesse are having their big fight in a pouring rainstorm, of course, because Rain is just 
a crutch to add a little bit of drama in a scene. It's the er- it, it goes great with the early 2000s like emo scene. We were just like, oh, I just want to feel the rain come down on me and be be intense and and brooding. And then and then Jesse James like collapses from the yeah, from thanks, the weight Spider-Man. of it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although oh, Spider-Man, he gets the kiss. He gets the he kiss does. in the rain. Yeah, so yeah. there's so there's that. Last thing, and then I'm done with this movie and you can wrap it up. There is a scene after Jim Younger dies where Scott Kahn's character is like looking at him and Jim kind of like his eyes glaze over and within a second he covers his eyes. He's like, he's dead. They don't check a pulse. They just go, he's dead and they cover his eyes. I was like, give the man a chance to breathe one last time before you just go, oh, he's dead. All right, that's it. Goodbye, Jim. Well, we had to get that hour and a half runtime, man. We (laughs) No time for grief. (laughs) <laughs> yes well before we wrap it up uh what do you give this movie for a rating so there were some oregon trail style covered wagons so i'm gonna give it one and a half covered wagons i think that's fine i think that's that's exactly what this uh what this film deserves i give it one and a half poorly drawn wanted posters oh i like that uh because uh yeah i mean poor bob just doesn't get the respect he he deserves or doesn't deserve i, I don't know but what a great friend that Jesse is, like, pumping his ego up after. Yeah, good wingman, good wingman. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a wrap on American Outlaws. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating, leave a positive review. You can give us your unfiltered opinion on Twitter at American Scene underscore. We're on Instagram at American Scene Pod. And if you'd like to follow either of your patriotic co-hosts, I'm Ben Rosen on Twitter at NotThatBenRosen. I'm Alan Austin at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And we'll see you next time.